episode 27. I need to find out, is this serving me or is the circuitry out of date? Because we can look intellectually and go, well, of course you deserve that success. You worked for it. You got it. Boom. Move on. Hello, my name's Ian Anderson-Gray, and this is the Confident Live Marketing Podcast. I've got Anne Pinkerton on today to talk about burnout, self-sabotage, and imposter syndrome. So I'm really excited about that. But before that, I wanted to let you know about a completely free webinar I'm doing with my good friend, Jeff C., on December the 3rd. It's all about Live Video 101. Basically, every everything you need to know to get started with live video. All you need to do to register is to go to iag.me forward slash live video 101. That's iag.me forward slash live video 101. And it's on December the 3rd. Looks like it's time for something completely boutique. Morning, darling. Fancy some eggs Benedict for breakfast? Yes. That would be splendid. But before that, I was thinking about the theme music for this week's podcast. I've got Anne Pinkerton on to talk about burnout, self-sabotage and imposter syndrome. Sounds very interesting. Indeed. So I was thinking about having a spot of death metal for this week's theme music. Oh, fabulous. Death metal just doesn't get much of an airtime on podcasts these days. My thoughts exactly. Now, a couple of things before we get started. Unfortunately, Anna's audio isn't that great during the interview, but I hope you find it really valuable as I definitely did myself. But also to let you know that Anna has also got a book. We forgot to mention that. It's called Smile Again. You can find it on Amazon and all good bookstores. So that's Smile Again by Anna Pinkerton. But now I think it's time... This is the Confident Live Marketing Podcast. Confident Live Marketing Podcast with Ian Anderson Gray, helping entrepreneurs level up their impact, authority, and profits through the power of live video. Gain confidence in front of the camera, confidence with technology, and confidence with the content and marketing. Together, we can go live! Hello, it's the Confident Live Marketing Show with Ian Anderson-Grave. This is episode 27. And today we're going to be talking about the whole issue of self-sabotage, imposter syndrome and burnout. I'm really excited to talk to Anna Pinkerton about this. But first of all, today's podcast is sponsored by none other than Content 10X. Content 10X are experts in content repurposing. They provide a full end-to-end repurposing service. And as I've said in all the weeks previous to this, the great thing about this is live video. Once you get that tech sorted out, once you get that confidence to get in front of the camera, it's a great way just to create that content quickly. You know, I'd be, I'm a big believer in blog posts, but blog posts can take such a long time to create. With live video, you press that start broadcast button. Obviously, you've planned what you're going to say. And then at the end of it, then Content 10X can take that and explode that across the internet in a plethora of different types of content, whether that's a podcast or social media posts, blog posts, you name it, uh, they do that. And if you want to know more about 
repurposing to get some ideas, then all you need to do is just go to content10x.com. They've got an amazing blog, an amazing podcast, and they've also now got a book, which is really awesome. So check out content10x.com. And I thank you so much, Amy and the team, for sponsoring the show. So today, I'm so excited to have Anna Pinkerton on the show. We met last year. I'm going to ask her a little bit more about how we met when when she comes on. But we're going to be talking about self-sabotage on today's show, imposter syndrome and burnout. And Anna is a therapeutic coach, trauma therapist, speaker and author who has dedicated her career to understanding stress, trauma and PTSD. She's an expert in burnout and burnout trauma. She helps companies and individual leaders prevent burnout, recover from burnout, and create cultures of care and kindness through knowledge of neuroscience. Anna, it's great to have you on the show. How are you doing? I was just listening to that going, oh, is that me? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? You're not not the first to say that. It's funny, isn't it? Do you like that? Do you like your, your biography? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I do. You, you, you kind of, because you don't, you very rarely encapsulate all of the bits of what you do, do you? Because you just go through your day and yeah, that's nice. Yeah, thank you for the intro. Oh, well, there we go. That's good. That's great. Well, it's great to have you on the show. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we started the, the podcast recording, but can you remember how we, we first met? Because I remember it very clearly and we had a really amazing conversation. I've got a funny feeling that we met on a big sofa in the bar stroke restaurant area. Is that right? I think so. This was so this was at the Upreneur Summit 2018, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it was this time last year. And I think we were both in separate crowds and then we just got almost closer and closer to each other and just had this chat. We just got stuck in with a chat really what these things, self-sabotage, lack of confidence, imposter syndrome were. And uh, and I had a slightly different take on it, I think, <laughs> when we were chatting. Yeah, I found that interesting because I've spoken to a lot of people about imposter syndrome and self-sabotage over the years. In fact, I actually went on a, as, as a guest on a podcast uh, maybe a couple of years ago to talk about imposter syndrome. And I had total imposter syndrome to talk about imposter syndrome, which I thought was quite amusing. But uh, but yeah, I, I know it's, it's something that I think most of us suffer from, that we struggle with, uh, if we're honest. I have maybe met one or two people who say they haven't or they've just encountered it a few times. So yeah, I, so I remember very clearly that conversation. I wanted to ask you, before we dig into those topics, we talk a lot about obviously live video on the show and, and um, getting in front of the camera, but how have you found that experience of getting in front of the camera? Do you get nervous? Do you have any tips for getting over those nerves? I get an anticipatory nerves about it, but I'm not particularly bothered about what I look like on the camera. So I do understand it. I do, I do understand all of these things. I don't suffer from them anymore. So I'm a bit, I'm that category of, I, I have memories of it. So yeah, if that answers your question. It does. Yeah. So that, that's interesting because I've spoken to a lot of people, pretty much all the guests I've had on the show still talk about this fear of getting in front of the camera, of feel, feeling nervous before they get on. And But everyone has a, has a different take on this. So I, I always like to ask people this. And do you have any memories of like an embarrassing moment or a disastrous live stream that you've done or getting on camera and things have not gone quite so well? I think the worst one, well, not the worst one, because I really enjoyed it. I had, um, I was interviewed or it ended up being a big fat discussion with Dr. Dan Maggs. And I swore so much on it that 
I thought, well, he'll just beep those out or he'll just cut those out. And he didn't. This is quite recent, actually. So I thought, oh, I could, oh, a bit of a potty mouth because I just did see it as a conversation. And then Dan sent me a message to say he's left it all in. <laughs> and But it was quite funny because he stood. This is on the Internet somewhere. He left it all in, but put a disclaimer video beforehand. So I was like, that comes to something, doesn't it? If it, it just, I'm really sorry. It, Anna Pinkerton's next. So, you know, forgive me <laughs> for her foul mouth. So he lured me into a false sense of security thing. You just be yourself, just talk normally, and uh, which I did. And yeah, so he left it all in. So, I mean, I'm, I'm beyond really caring what people are thinking about it. I do, my biggest concern is offending some, not offending somebody, but I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. I'm always going to offend somebody inadvertently. I think that's part of life. But I, that's what I care about. I wouldn't want to hurt anybody or give them some advice that makes things worse for them. OK, that's my my big thing. What I look like and if I watch my language, muck it up. It's a less concern. I've, I'm impressed with that. I've had far too much therapy and to to worry about that. Yeah, no that's that's really interesting because I think at the end of the day if if you offend somebody by the way you look or the way you sound, there's not much you can do about that, you know, is there? And you can't legislate for people being offended by something you say. Obviously, I if people are offended by it that I'd come and hurt them physically, of course I would and I would never do that, but you can't you can't know what people are going to be offended by. But if I, I wouldn't want to hurt somebody. So I'm more, I'm more worried about that than how I come across particularly or how I look. Yeah, because it's I always start out with a good intention. I love that. And I think that's a good philosophy for us all. You know, we're never going to be liked by everybody. This is something I've personally struggled with. You know, I, I want to be liked. And so I've allowed that in the past to to change the way I put myself forwards and just be, say maybe some of my idiosyncrasies, my, you know, we're all a bit weird, aren't we? But we tend to kind of like cut out all the weirdness and we become the sanitized version of ourselves on social media, uh, particularly, but just the way we interact. And, and that's so boring. And I think age has helped with me getting older, but also just coming to the realization that actually people People just want to find out the real us. And that's one yeah. of the reasons why I love live video. Although I kind of get scared, I still get scared about it. I still get scared that I'm going to be judged and that people are going to think I'm rubbish. But I still, my ultimate aim is I want to help people through what I do. So I'm sure you could, I'm sure you could unpack all the stuff that I've just said. Hey, don't worry. Just because I'm a psychotherapist doesn't mean to say I can read minds. <laughs> no, I, I can't. I know, I know. So um, I, I want to get, I want to, let's, define some things because I think everyone has a different definition of imposter syndrome. And actually recently, uh, I was picked up in a talk, I was presentation I was giving about a live video. And, and I was talking about the whole, the barriers that people put up. So it could be imposter syndrome is one of them, comparison syndrome. You know, th there's all these things. And, and I was picked up by using the word syndrome in a negative way. But I think we've all got these def different definitions. So how would you, one of the things that you really focus on in your business is a whole concept of burnout. So I wanted to, to talk about that. What is burnout and how is that misunderstood and underestimated? That's a small question. It is. Um, okay. So, so burnout is sometimes misunderstood and it's often considered sometimes an attitude of mind or a fizzling out of someone's fervor. 
Now, it's actually a really complicated mixture of things. It's a mixture of neuroscience, so you, a person's neurology, their other physiological symptoms and their psychology. So you can't really have, although I know neurology is physiology, I kind of separate those in my mind. And there's a triangular relationship between those three things. So it's not a mental health condition. It's not a physical condition. It's not just a neurological condition, although it can be. It's a mixture of those things. And I think that's how I see it. So I see it in that framework. I see it visually. And so it's complicated, but with a simple formula in a way. There's three elements to it. We try to discover what they are, what might have got somebody to there, and what might get them out. So if, if, if somebody was to reach this point of, of burnout, what would be maybe some of the, how would you see that? What are the, what are the out, kind of outcomes of that? What are the symptoms of that? Okay, so, so burnout manifests in many ways. So burnout can actually be somebody dropping down with a heart attack, having a stroke, uh, having a brain hemorrhage, having a digestive disorder that's life-threatening. And that all of these have reasons and physiology behind them due to chronic stress. And yeah, we haven't got time to go into those, but they, they all have good reasons for, for being there. So they can manifest very surprisingly and shockingly in those ways. You can have people who maybe develop anxiety for the first time in their lives or depression or poor uh, confidence and they start to not be able to rely on their decisions. You can have two types of burnout. One is that a slow to build, so it might take months, years to start showing proper symptoms. But or you can have one shocking event like a heart attack stroke or something like somebody having an outburst at work, for instance. So, you know, they've managed these stressors for so long and suddenly they can't anymore and they do something out of character. So it, there's two ways to burn out, and it's really important to be cognizant of those. Preferably, we find, you know, obviously with a shocking event, we can't always see it coming, but we can see some of the elements that create it. You know, if we're going to do 60, 70 hour weeks, then we've, we, we need to be fairly certain that somebody's not going to be able to keep that up and stay well. So there are some things that are obvious or commonsensical in a way. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. So I, I think we're all different. We've all got different experiences. And so for some people, you you know, if you're working like an 80 hour week, the chances of you burning out are probably going to be very high. But would you say like for some people, their tolerance level is a lot lower. So some people actually might not be working quite as hard as that, but they're still got the potential of burnout. I do think it depends on the circuitry. So we are all at the mercy of our circuitry. So I say to people, look, You've only got a certain size circuit board. And if you continue to override it and you continue to go beyond your limits, your whole system, your mind and your body are going to recalibrate you, whether you like it or not, and create symptoms that tell you to slow down or stop. And of course, entrepreneurs who are usually people I work with are terrified of slowing down because they think it will make them stop and stop what their mission is. Okay, this is how I see it. And I've done over 29,000 hours of working with people who have broken down. This is how I see it. I think everybody has a similar size circuitry. And that's why we can see and predict elements that will break you down. If you're doing 60 hours a week and you don't eat properly and you live off cigarettes and coffee or tea and nothing else, then you're going to burn out. The chances of you burning out are high. 
What I see is there are other people that other people might could be uh, might say they're blessed with a bigger circuitry, so they can do the sixty-hour week for a tad longer, let's say. And I know that there's this, you know, there's a narrative around, oh, you know, I, I can do it, I can succeed. Well, of course, I will always see the people that break, but I think something suffers, and I just that's what I want to do in terms of prevention is that we don't have to suffer and then recalibrate when we're not well. Is there really any need to do 60, 70 hour, 80 hour weeks? You know what, do you know what I mean? Why are we doing that to ourselves in the first place? Dare I say, dare I use the word hustle here? This this whole, it's like a badge of honor sometimes. I think that, you know, if you are seen to hustle, I don't like the word, but you know, it, it equates to working really hard. If you're seen to do that, then you will succeed. And, and there is a big problem, I think, in the world that we live in, uh, particularly in the marketing, social media space, entrepreneurial space, in that we see so many people sharing what they're doing, you know, like, I got up at 4am and I went to the gym and I did this. and, And we've got this issue where I think we can compare ourselves to other people. And so I've I've always believed that, you know, we've got different seasons in our lives. If you're a parent, uh, then you're probably not going to have as much time as some other people who maybe the kids have left home or or there may be different circumstances but also uh, we've got different I, I like what you say there about we've got different circuitry or different sizes of circuitry so what we what somebody else can cope with we might not necessarily be able to in our current situation do you think there's some truth in that oh I want to yeah I don't want to work a 60 yeah. hour a week so I don't care whether somebody else is doing 60 70 or 80 I do not care that is not my life and their social media does not define my life. It probably doesn't define theirs either. But they're entitled to do what they want to do. And they're entitled to break themselves if they want to. I don't want to. So you know, we've got to be careful that, we're, that we don't buy into the, the, the narrative of what hustle is. I don't care what hustle is. I, don't, I just don't care about it. And if it means that my business is slightly less successful then I'd rather sustain it over the next 25 years than not, right? I'm not bought into what somebody else desires in their business. I'm bought into what my business does for the people I work with and for and myself and my family, right? So it's, it's compare and despair. And, uh, you know, let's let, look, if we all compared ourselves to Gary Vaynerchuk, we'd all feel <laughs> wouldn't we, right? But even he's recalibrating. I'm really pleased. I'm proud to see that he's doing that. You know, he's talking about slowing down, taking time. He's talking about kindness, for goodness sake. This is Gary Vee, you know. He's talking about looking after himself because what's the point if you can't sustain what your mission is? Sorry, that's my high horse coming Well, <laughs> yeah, if you're watching live or watching the replay or listening to the podcast, what do you think about what Anna said there? That's in some ways, I wouldn't say it's controversial, but it spoke with passion. Personally speaking, I totally agree with you. I wanted to get, I want to say a big amen for that because it's something that I think we need to speak about a lot more. And I'm really glad, like you, that Gary Vaynerchuk is, is starting to talk about this. I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk, if you don't know, if you're watching and you haven't heard of him, he's been a big proponent of uh, the whole hustle thing, working really hard. But I wonder whether he's he's said that, but he, that a lot of people have taken what he said out of context a little bit and spoken about all of this, pushing hard, working hard all the time. So I I really agree. And, and I, suppose, so I, I suppose I know what you're going to say from my next question, which is, <laughs> is this a big problem for entrepreneurs? Well, it is a problem if you make it one, right? I think Gary Vaynerchuk is right. I can listen to the guy to Kingdom Come. You know, he's incredibly easy to listen to. I love a lot of what he says. 
I really do. And he's probably right. You know, my business isn't going to be where it could be unless I do 16 hours a day, but I don't care about doing 16 hours a day. You know, I'm happy doing my 10 hours a day, uh, twice a week. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I know the consequences and I take responsibility for that. I think what Gary is saying, and rightly so, don't moan, or you can moan if you want. If you're going to moan, or, or not be happy with your results, then up your hours, up what you do. I think it's that equation he's talking about, really. And, and that's fine. And the reason why burnout exists is because people fall out of love with what they're doing. They fall out of love with themselves and they do the 16 hours a day, probably for somebody else's business often. Uh, but even if their own, they loved it once. But now they're falling out of love with it because it's taking too much and they haven't recalibrated and, and kind of reverse engineered that and going, actually, mm. I do really, really well on an eight hour day. And I really bloody love it still. And I think that's the issue. Nobody has to do anything they don't want to do. And, you know, if people want to moan about it, they can. Again, we don't have to listen to it. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I think maybe maybe having somebody that you can have a moan to, yeah, whether that's in a mastermind group or, or something like that, where you can, because I think if you leave it inside, if, if you're not even realizing that you're hating what you're doing, what your business has become, then that's a problem. So the next question really I wanted to ask you is, is the whole area of being hard on ourselves. So I definitely am hard on myself. I beat myself up a lot about what I don't achieve. And what, why, why do you think some of us are so hard on ourselves? and others are not and and how can we avoid this how can we we can become a, a real fan of ourselves and be a cheerleader of ourselves and help us move forwards in our personal life but also in our business my take on this is the core of the work that i do now we're all born full of ourselves when children are little you'll hear parents and families say oh they're full of themselves they are now something happens in the developmental process particularly in the culture of the uk where we start to mutate that we start to learn from the adults around us that it's actually not okay to be full of ourselves it's fine when you're five but being full of yourself at 15 20 years old we start to look like we're arrogant or people construe that as arrogance it's really not okay in the uk to be full of pride and full of oneself so i think what happens developmentally is we start to learn oh this doesn't go down so well in the world so I'll just kind of, I'll fall out with myself about that. You know, I'll do something I'm not proud of and I'll beat myself up for a while or I'll make a decision about myself more importantly. I might think, okay, oh, I didn't pass that exam. I'm an idiot. So there, that gets put in place, say, at the age of 14. I didn't pass the exam. I'm an idiot. I'm thick. I'm not as good as I thought I was. So that person recalibrates, that gets imprinted neurologically and starts to become a belief. And then people operate as though that's true, which of course it's not a truth. It became a belief based on an experience that was slightly bastardized along the way. So if you explode that out over the lifespan and you've got literally hundreds of experiences that go into your neurology in a way that's kind of not just your own, because you're looking at the world going, oh, I can't be proud. I can't be clever. You know, we start to mutate. And then we start to be at the mercy of that operating system, which is really not ours. It's been adapted to be in this world, right? Does that make sense? Makes total sense. So, yeah, and... 
yeah, I worry my, in a sense for my kids as they grow up and, and they're at this age now when they are being a lot more self-aware or aware of the people around them. And, and I want to help them through what I've learned about, about through this process, you know, to not beat themselves up. I want them to feel confident in, the, in themselves. But of course, you don't want to, you don't want to appear arrogant. So what, what's your advice? You know, it's so interesting, like literally every single person I've ever worked with go, if I'm in good relationship with myself, I don't want to be, I don't want to be arrogant. I was like, well, well okay, as long as you're not going to go punch somebody in the face, I think you'll be all right. Because people that care about being arrogant never are arrogant in a million years, right? Just because you become companionable and in good relationship with yourself doesn't mean to say you're going to become an arse. It doesn't. It doesn't work like that. You will recalibrate the other way and go, okay, I'm in good relationship with myself, but I don't feel like punching somebody in the face, right? I still care about the world. I care about me as well. That's the dynamic we're looking for. That's good. So so if you're slightly concerned that you're appearing arrogant, in a way that's not a bad thing because that's kind of hopefully going to recalibrate things. You're, not, you're never going to. What you might find, and this is what I say, when people are practicing being companionable to themselves, what you might find is that you put your foot in it a little bit. You know, I sometimes say things that come off a, sometimes a bit brash, but I've practiced it. So, for instance, I'm really conscious if somebody says, do you want to do so-and-so? I try to know myself well enough to make sure that the answer is yes or no based on what I actually believe. And I'm not saying yes, but I mean no. So, you know how you might go, no, no, I don't want to. And you go, oh, that came over really bad because I wasn't practiced at looking after myself then. And that's not arrogance. It's just lack of practice so I I don't think people should worry about arrogance in their life as much as their brutality towards themselves Mm. their inner brutality towards themselves is way more destructive than a bit of arrogance that slips out now and again definitely see that and I think that's such an important thing to say so when it comes to putting ourselves out there you know when it comes to the, the whole area of marketing and live video and video. I've, I will admit, I've struggled with that. In, in many ways, I feel like I'm a reluctant live video guy because putting myself out there, I've, I've struggled with that because it's putting me out there. It's maybe it's because some of the things I was talking about before. Maybe we don't, we don't like ourselves, or we're, we're not, we're not wanting to appear arrogant. We're not wanting to appear all about ourselves. And I, I see this time and time again with the, my clients and with the audience that I speak with. So you know, I think putting yourself out there and going live can be difficult because inside we might not like ourselves that much. Have you got any tips on how we can get out there? And if we've got a heart to help people and as business owners, we might not want to put ourselves out there, but how how would we go about doing that? Okay, well, first of all, I would go straight into asking if that's what the person wants. If they want to be out there, but they're finding it difficult, that's a very different experience to thinking they ought to be out there. So first of all, ditch the ought. If you don't want to do it, that's okay. You can do your marketing in a different way. And you talked earlier about there being barriers to being out there live or just doing video. But the barriers are okay. You don't have to do this. But if you want to, what you're probably finding is that your psych, your mind is tricking you a little bit. Because if you're if there's parts or elements of your you or your personality that you're not keen on, that the mind will play this little trick on you. Go. Those are the only bits that the audience can see. Right. 
so it's a bit it feels exposing it feels like you've got no skin on and you're turning yourself inside out and people can see your vulnerability so what i help people with is i i help them build a companionable relationship with themselves so that they don't brutalize themselves they don't swear or harangue themselves internally they never fall out with themselves and they never let themselves down again because they are companionable They'll make mistakes, they'll make oaths of themselves, they'll do stuff they're not proud of. But what they don't do is give so much attention to that, that that becomes part of their identity. They just have the feelings, move through and do differently next time, which is true responsibility. We're not looking for perfection here, but this is, this is the work that I do is help people build what I call good. And that sounds judgmental, but I believe a good relationship with self is a companionable one not a brutal one. Because if you're calling yourself an effing idiot because it's tricky to get in front of the camera or I don't do a 16-hour day or whatever you're brutalising yourself about, that just uses energy that you can transfer to something else. Definitely. And I think what you said before, live video, getting in front of the camera, putting yourself out there is not necessary for everybody. You've got, to, you've got to think, well, what is actually good for my business? What's good for me? But if you, if you do think, well, actually, I, I think I should be doing this, there may be these barriers holding you back. And this whole, I'm, I'm fascinated by this whole, the concepts of being companionable, you know, being kind to yourself. So obviously, this is a huge topic. And you'll, you'll, you'll spend, I'm sure, hours and hours and hours with your clients. And the kind of question I'm going to ask you next is probably impossible for you to do. But, you know, what what are the kind of, if if there are some takeaways that people can have, you know, in terms of making the first steps to this whole idea of being companionable, what would you say? You know, what, what are the first things that we should be rethinking? Have you got any practical tips for us? Yeah, I think the first step is to notice what you do. Just notice what you do. If you have a day where you don't feel like you've done enough work stuff and you spend, do you spend the whole evening going, oh, you idiot, you what a waste. You, why did you do that? You're so useless. You know, find out what your narrative is and everybody's got a unique narrative where the brutality shows up. So once you notice it, you can decide, hmm, what do I do with that? First of all, am I okay with it? I mean, some people are so habituated in being brutal to themselves that they either don't notice they do it or they quite like it. You know, we get used to and habituated in what the brain loves and knows. So the brain absolutely adores what it knows, even if it's working against us. So you have to then rewire that. You have to on purpose go, actually, do I want to continue doing that? I think every single client leader that I've worked with over the years, I ask every single one of them at the end of the piece of work. And this is without fail. And I promise you, this is true. I ask how much energy has that person got back? Now they're not brutalizing themselves and they're in companionable relationship with themselves. And they've all said 30%. Now, 30% extra energy towards your business. Like one person said they raised another million pound within their business in the following year once they've done the work. Somebody else who in a bigger business got back at boardroom table having lost 50 million in deals whilst they're away from the boardroom. But once they were back in it, they were there to do the deals. So it has a, a massive effect on people's contentment and ease. 
but oh, and also their business. And of course, everything within us gets translated into our business. Definitely. So do you think it's it's a, a way of um, focusing on, at a very simplistic level, focusing on our strengths as opposed to our weaknesses? Something that I know that I struggled with years and years and years ago, I, did a, I was on a leadership course and they asked us to write down our strengths. And I, I couldn't answer answer the question. It was actually my wife who said, yeah, you, you're good at that and that and that and that. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah so I am. <laughs> so do you think sometimes we, yeah. we just have a very, like a false image of ourselves or we need to kind of actually really learn to know ourselves and actually have a have a, a true image of ourselves in, in our minds so that we can actually have more of a companionable relationship with ourselves? Yeah, I think you need to do the deep work. We have to go into ourselves and find out who I am and who I'm not. Otherwise, we become constructed by the symptoms that we have, like lack of confidence, lack of self-esteem, imposter syndrome, self-sabotage. Those are all symptoms of being in poor relationship with yourself. So you have to get dig deep and go, who am I and who am I not? And be, if you're not OK with who you are and who you're not, then that's what you address. So if you don't see anything as a strength and weakness, it just as it, it, it is as it is. And if you're OK with that, fine, move on. If you're not, what do you want to do next? Yeah. And the thing is, if we try to distract ourselves from the stuff that's getting in the way, which you're calling perhaps the weaknesses, then we can only do that for a time because they'll, they'll find a way of showing up again in a symptom or they'll manifest in your business and, and mm. up, you know, it will come out somewhere. So it's, a, it's about arriving in your own body and life and going, am I doing what I want? Am I who I want to be? Of course, we're all at the mercy of our temperaments. Is there stuff that, about us that we're not OK with? Do we want to do something about it or not? Like people that know me, like I'm really a really messy person. Am I bothered to do something about it? Does that define me? Do I like a tidy house? Yes. Do I care about it that much? I don't. <laughs> right. And if I did, I'd do something about it. So I could work on caring more about it, but I care about another 10 things way more. Yeah. It's priorities, isn't it? Really thinking what what are the priorities in my, in my life? What I want to really focus on? Because like you, tidy house would be pretty high up there, but... Yeah, there are more important things, unfortunately, out there. Going back to something you said earlier, you were talking about that sometimes these things can, uh, we almost enjoy, our brain almost enjoys beating ourselves up. That wasn't quite the phrase that you used, but it strikes me like, would you say this is almost like a, an addiction in a way? We can become addicted to this way of thinking and it's, it's almost, it's, it's a form of self, it is self-abuse, isn't it? You've got to be really careful with that because nobody's to blame for this, right? We're at the mercy of our neurology and that's why all of these things that we started this discussion on are actually all forms of being in poor relationship with yourself. So it's not an addiction in the sense that people set out for it to be like that. The brain becomes imprinted by habit. And because of where we are culturally, we get way more positive strokes for being for berating ourselves and being in poor relationship than we do for being full of ourselves and proud. So we're not, it's nobody's fault. The brain becomes habituated to harangue yourself and beat yourself up, you were saying. The, the practical step is just start training yourself the other way. Use that energy to put the big stick down. Use the energy to go, actually, I'm not going to swear and harangue myself. I'm going to go, okay, I'm not keen on what happened there, but I'm going to do differently next time. You've got to go into that nuance 
of that internal dynamic to explode it from the inside out. Otherwise, it's in control of you rather than you being in control of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And something that I've been thinking about as you've been speaking today is I, I wonder whether we need to come up with a new vocabulary to describe these things, because like some of the words that I've used, like beating myself up and, you know, the, a lot of these things are quite negative And maybe we need to think of like a new vocabulary to describe things. So w- would you agree with that? As people finish listening to this podcast, what are some couple of practical steps, the first things that they can do to start this journey i think it's really useful and and clients of mine have said it's valuable for them to look at how big the inner brutality is so i have renamed it i coined the phrase inner brutality of thought and action and companionability to self is the exact opposite that means being in a dynamic relationship with self so practically what you can do from now is just even just go into yourself and go crumbs how much of this what percentage of my day of my inner world do I spend being brutal towards myself am I beating myself up for a good portion of the day what's ever enough do I ever achieve and go yeah that was a great day or that I'm, I'm okay I'm a good person so tallying it up can be quite helpful I'm literally drawing a circle on a page and going how much of me in my head is brutalizing myself And some people find like it's 90%. Some people find it's 10%, but it's useful to know. But any inner brutality is going to start scuppering really who you are and your growth. And and therefore, often your business growth also. And sometimes I think there's this feeling of like, I don't deserve this. So this happened to me. I produced my first course about four years ago. It went really, really well, selling up hotcakes. And I remember thinking to myself, what's going on here? This is a total fluke. I mean, I was just waiting for the first complaint that somebody would say, this course is really bad. I want my money back. But that didn't really happen. And when it came to my second course, I thought I, it, w- it was a case of self-sabotage because I, I kind of was willing myself to fail because I, it was almost like I didn't deserve a second chance at this. Does, does that sound like self-sabotage to you? Uh, kind of. What happens is our defences are based on keeping us safe. So our defensive behaviour is often about safety. So it could have been that you felt exposed uh, or you tried to prepare yourself. Well, when's this all going to go wrong? So rather than make another course, I don't want to have to deal with worrying about whether it's going to go wrong or not. I'll make it go wrong at the beginning. And that's all about the same thing. That's all about relationship with self. Now, you can go into it and go, oh, being in the self-knowledge that I worry about my safety. I don't feel, it doesn't feel right. So the deserving, like the belonging in a way, the, the imposter syndrome, it all comes down to the same. Are you okay with who you are and who you're not? And because then, of course, you deserve the success. Why, why wouldn't you if you're in that relationship? And don't take it up as personal, right? This is all neurological it's all imprinted way before we had chance to know it was imprinted and of course as adults we go oh crikey what this bloody thing's in control i need to find out is this serving me or is the circuitry out of date because we can look intellectually and go well of course you deserve that success you work for it you got it boom move on but your mind the wiring is going oh, i'm not sure about that so it'd be an old Neural, neural pathway that's having a little shout going oh this is a bit uncomfortable this is a bit uncomfortable and that's what you want to rewire 
if you don't want the discomfort of that undeserving feeling again. That makes sense. So sometimes self-sabotage isn't what it, it, it isn't what it purported to be. Self-sabotage is just like, I'd rather not go through that again. Clever. That's clever thinking, right? Clever thinking. True self-sabotage is utter recklessness. So most self-sabotage is about the relationship with self manifesting itself in the world. And the, the, the issue I have around self-sabotage and imposter syndrome and all of these things are, you know, it's not personal, it's neurological. And people start judging themselves and blaming themselves. And therefore, we then get deeper into deepening those neural pathways that we're not keen on in the first place. Yeah. It's more to brutalise about ourselves. So it's a, it's a cycle. It's a kind of like a vicious circle. Yes, it can be. And, you know, in the coaching world, you hear it all the time. You go... You hear it, people go, oh, self-sabotaging. Wow, that's really considerate for the person that is manifesting symptoms about that they uh, don't feel worthy, maybe, or they're frightened of succeeding. Okay, that's all normal, but don't blame them. Don't humiliate them about it, you see? Yeah, I totally see, because <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah, it's a huge problem, right? Look at the coaching world saying uh, that that person's got a victim mentality worst thing I've ever heard anybody say about anyone because what that person's doing by saying that person's got a victim mentality is they're victimizing them it's totally counter counterintuitive that person is the victim of something and they feel weakened by the situation they're not weak we have to be really conscious in this coaching world to be careful we don't abuse our power and that goes full circle to why people may be afraid of being live in front of the camera because they know it's a powerful medium and they're not sure whether they want that power. And they're also not sure, are they in good enough relationships with themselves that they don't abuse it? A very vulnerable medium, if that's the right phrase, because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very difficult to, you know, you can kind of cover up the cracks <laughs> maybe on a on a on a I edited video. <laughs> this is this has been a this is a great conversation. This I mean we could get, we've only kind of touch the surface there's so much more we could talk about and uh, maybe we have you back on the show and we can talk about this in a, in a, on a deeper level but thank you so much Anna for, for coming on the show and I know that this will have touched uh, my listeners and if you're listening to this now this podcast and this has touched you then get in touch let us know what you think about this and of course Anna you're on the socials you've, you've got a website what's the, what's the best place that people can find you and also you know t tell us a little bit more about how you work with individuals and businesses and, and how you can help people well um i work one-to-one -one with people around the world because it's fabulous with skype and zoom and facetime now so i literally work with people around the world america middle east europe so the one-to-one -one work i do is really helping people who maybe are already successful incredibly successful but they can't enjoy it or something's pitched up in their inner brutality it started to ruin what they're happy about and their business and so I do this companionability work and we do the rewiring work. We look at the, what the neurological template has in it and does it serve that person or not anymore. Very often, it's simply the fact that it's out, out of date. It was programmed, programmed in at the age of 10 years old and, and now somebody's 40 or 50 and it's just out of date. And that's the way I like to see it because it's incredibly blame free. It's we're seeing what's there. Is it serving them? Yes or no, boom, move on, let's do the work. That's the one-to-one -one stuff I do. Now with companies, in a way it's similar, but we start by educating the company 
in what this stuff is, like what is burnout? Then the next bit, which is how does how does burnout manifest? How does chronic stress affect all the systems of the body? And of course, then we come in and talk about the companionability and how that matters. Because the simple fact is, whether you're a company or an individual, if you're in brutal relationship with yourself, you're weaker. Not a weak person, you're just weakened because you're spending a hell of a lot of energy fighting yourself inadvertently. And the exact opposite is true. If you're in companionable relationship with yourself and you explode that over a company as well, that person or company is stronger and can sustain its growth. And that's the simplicity of it, really. <laughs> I try to make it simple. And it is quite simple in my mind. But of course, there's elements of the constellation that are tricky to cover in such a short amount of time. Yeah, definitely. So is the best place to your website, which is annapinkerton.com? I've got that right. Yeah, it's just annapinkerton.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I tend to hang out there a bit more, but yeah. That's fab. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Anna. It's been great. I do enjoy these really deep conversations. I hope that uh, if you're listening or watching that you've enjoyed that too. And yeah, we'll, we'll have to continue this discussion another time. We'll have to get you back on the show, but it's been great to have you on. And so until next time, I encourage you to level up your impact, authority and profits through the power of Confident Live Video. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Confident Live Marketing Podcast with Ian Anderson Gray. Be sure to join the community at iag.me where you can continue to level up your impact, authority and profits through the power of live video. And until next time, toodaloo.